we're going to be distributing the uh, proceeds of the fund and distributing monthly income of the fund. And it's all distributed through the smart contract. So you can either get it directly deposited into your bank account, or you could take it as Ethereum or USD. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Michael Flight. Michael is the principal and CEO of Liberty Real Estate Fund, and the Liberty Real Estate Fund is a net lease security token fund put together to create a conservative, safe portfolio for investors. In all of my research, it is the first token of its kind to be backed by single tenant net lease properties. And if that's all new to you, just hang in there. Michael's going to explain it all to us. But I'm super excited to have Michael on the show because he's a true pioneer in the space, mixing new technology of the blockchain with the oldest investment class on the planet, which is real estate and lumping them together for a new asset class. So I'll just stop there and say, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Matt. I'm really excited about this too, because it's really, I've been meeting more and more people that have a technology background that are getting into real estate. But a lot of my you know, previous acquaintances have just been old real estate dogs and it's hard to teach them new tricks. So I'm very excited for this interview. Awesome. Well, we like to start off with the difficult questions. What's your favorite ice cream? Probably going to have to say pistachio. Uh, okay. That's the first thing that comes to mind. So it must be my favorite. Any particular kind? Is it Ben and Jerry's? My wife is Italian and she turned me on to gelato. So that's what comes into my mind instantly. Uh, And there's a place in Cicero, Illinois that has gelato and Italian ice and it's Freddy's and they got great pizza. And that's instantly what that comes into my mind. You're making me want to go there right now. I mean, when you have pizza and gelato in the same spot, you cannot go wrong. I'm assuming since you said gelato, no toppings or are you a toppings person? You know, I don't really do toppings that much. I'm fine with, you know, but if you want to throw some stuff on top, you know, I'm, you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm really easy with sweets. So (laughs) it's Uh, easy to convince, huh? Yes. I like it. Well, tell our listeners, what's your scoop? What do you do today? Uh. I've been in real estate for since around 1986, specialized in retail real estate, which is shopping centers, which is malls, which is single tenant, triple net real estate. And what we do today is uh, we not only have legacy investments in strip centers and shopping centers that we've redeveloped in the past, uh, but moving forward and most of our newer investments our single tenant triple net uh, lease properties, uh, lease to really quality corporations. And we like to describe them as bonds wrapped in real estate. Uh, additionally, the fund that we're putting together is a security token fund. So that'll be stable, tradable, private real estate. Awesome. Well, where did you, how'd you get started into real estate? Like you, you uh, born and raised in Chicago. How did you get involved in real estate? My brother and I, and uh, you know, my brother's a, a tech guy too, and he was actually, uh, you know, my first, uh, you know, investor, and he's been, you know, my best investor. We've invested in everything together. 
but he's the guy that originally went out and made the money and I went out and found the deals. Well, actually, the first thing we did was went to a nothing down seminar when we I was still in college. And I think he was just his first year out of college. And the broker said, uh, there's no way you're going to buy anything, nothing down. But we actually ended up about a year or two later buying a three flat in Cicero, Illinois. So when we were over there fixing the property, we'd stop over at Freddy's and get pizza and Italian ice or, you know, gelato. Yeah. Were those uh, were those seminars common back then? Like I, I might be in a real estate bubble in my social media and YouTube uh, channel history and things like that. But I think about how information is so prevalent today that it almost seems like a no brainer, all these strategies out there. But were those prevalent back in the day or were they hard to find? Um, it was harder to find them. There was guys on like late night television yeah. that you yeah. know would be on a yacht and say, you could be doing this. And there was guys, I don't actually even remember how I found this guy, but you know, since there was no internet, it had to be like radio, as I said, late night television. You know, we went to this thing, it was a free seminar and you actually went to a hotel room and basically what they were trying to do was sell the book. Um, you yep. know, so it's like, go to the back and you can buy our whole system. And there was guys that, you know, were very famous and, and had books. And there was a few of them that even like real estate kind of dumped in the middle of the, or the early eighties because the, the interest rates went way up. And so they switched to the stock market, you know, and then when real estate took off again, uh, later nineties, it's like they're back as real estate gurus. So it's been around for a while. It's just the incredible thing is you can learn so much online now. And, um, there wasn't that type of thing. It was, it was hard to really break into the business in, you know, 1980s. Yep. Yep. I just think about all the resources that we have today on like finding delinquent tax deeds and things like that, that you can just easily search on the internet. But back in the day, it was probably you had to go down to the courthouse, wait in line, ask, uh, ask whoever the attendant was to go pull that records for you and how much easier it is today. Um, yeah, I can tell you a story. Like when I was working for a large syndicator and they owned about 270 shopping centers and I just started with them. Uh, you know, I originally started out as a retail real estate broker. And so I was a leasing agent and I called up, you know, pay less shoes. And I hadn't gone down to the shopping center because we had a bunch of them. And so I'm like, well, I'll just call these guys up because it's a good fit for a grocery anchored, you know, Kmart center. And so I call up the guy from pay less shoes and, and I was really young and he was the nicest guy in the world. He goes, you know, Mike, that's a fantastic location for us. And it's a good idea, but unfortunately, we own our building directly across the street. <laughs> go on to Google Maps or anything. You had to actually go to, you know, wherever you are to see what the market was. And I still recommend doing that. But you could just get so much information on a market before you even fly in uh, that, you know, it's just incredible today. Yeah, my dad's an entrepreneur and in the late 80s, early 90s, he owned a um, system of weight loss clinics, probably like I think 35 of them. I was young during that time period. Um, and I was like, how did you just pull up to Greensboro, North Carolina and know where to put a shop? And he said, you know, I just drove around for a lot and found out where I thought the good area was. Then I would go to the phone book and rip out pages where I saw numbers of people that I wanted to call and I would just call them right there and it's a, it's a different world these days. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But it, it, it's in some respects, it's a much better world for if you're looking to get into real estate investing and, and learn about it. 
Yep. Yep. So you've seen the shopping center um, boom that happened in the 80s, and now you're more focused on single tenant retail locations. So can you tell our audience a little bit about, first off, what what's the difference between a single tenant, multi-tenant, and all of that? There's a number of different, you know, shopping center classes that we, we won't get into, but the there's the large regional malls, which are typically enclosed and all face inside and have the parking around them. And then there's the strip centers, which have the parking in front of them. And it'll probably have some out parcels with, you know, um, tenants out in the front of the shopping center. And it owns their, well, actually, we own the building. The tenant leases the building from us. They uh, also pay for all the um, expenses, including real estate taxes, the maintenance on the property and the insurance on the property. So they do everything. All you do on a triple net lease is collect the rent. With the shopping centers, it's not a true triple net because the landlord has to maintain the roofs. The landlord uh, in common maintains the property and then has to bill all that stuff back to the tenants. So especially when you get into malls, it's extremely complicated um, with the accounting. So that's an additional reason why we prefer single tenant triple net leases. But the really big thing we prefer is, as everybody knows, there's a lot of online shopping and we saw you know, disintermediation. And we saw that tenants, if they were going to make it, were moving out to out parcels, doing drive-throughs. It was just the progression because retail real estate has always gone through a progression from Sears catalog was the Amazon of the day. Then Sears started opening stores and then, you know, malls to, to where we're kind of at now. I want to highlight a key point you mentioned there on single net versus triple net. So we've done a lot of interviews on this show talking about residential investments. And when you think about a residential investment, I always talk about like a single family home has a single point of failure. That's a technology term that we use, single points of failure, redundant points of failure. Single point of failure means one tenant, one door. If that tenant's not in there, the door is not being paid for and you still have to come up with the money. And it's the same with multifamily too. Like there's multiple tenants but you are in charge of the maintenance, the taxes, the insurance. And I use the stories of my uh, tax bill in Nashville went up 35% this year. On top of that, insurance costs went up in my particular area. I can't explain why, nothing really changed on the property, just insurance costs went up very, very hefty. And also I've had HVACs that I've had to have to replace this past year, which has been a kick to the shin. So if you're thinking about it, those are costs that me, the owner, the landlord has to take on. If you're in a triple net situation, all of that's on the tenant, right? So they pay the tax increase, the insurance increase, and the maintenance increase. You literally are just getting mailbox money from the rent. And then there's, are there rent escalators included in there to help you with inflation? Like how did, how is the, how is that modeled? Okay. So- you know, an easy way to remember if it's a true triple net is the acronym TIM. So the tenant pays for taxes, tenant pays for insurance, and the tenant pays for maintenance. There are escalators in certain leases. So you have to actually look at the lease. And that's where it's a little bit trickier in reviewing a commercial lease versus, you know, a, um, a residential lease. I've got some commercial leases that uh, actually go over a hundred pages and uh, it's very detailed. But for example, with the dollar generals, you can get a very high cap rate on the dollar general, but you have to watch because the newer builds, uh, they do like a 15 year flat term. And so you're going to end up upside down in a really small market on some of those, even though it's an eight cap going in, you're not going to do any better. 
we like to, in most national tenants, for example, if it's a CVS or a Walgreens or some of those guys, there's rent increases every five years. And then there's a lot of auto service tenants, which we really like, and medical tenants, which we really like, and they'll have rent increases every year. And we used to back in the 1980s, and I think we're going to start doing it again, is doing rent escalators, uh, the greater of, you know, one to 2% per year or, you know, CPI. And that's every lease that we were doing in the 1980s because there was a bunch of inflation in the 1970s. And um, I think we're going to get back to that. Uh, the other thing is with COVID, uh, it's brought back percentage rent leases, which tenants in, in bankers didn't really want anymore. But with percentage rent increase, you know, uh, you get a base rent plus the tenant pays a percentage of their sales. Um, and that covers you in inflation because as they increase the cost of, you know, what they're selling, it uh, increases in, um, you know, hopefully they hit their break point and pay you more in percentage rent. This, this is why I'm so intrigued by real estate, right? Is I never even thought about tying a lease to CPI and, and putting it against uh, sales. And one of the things I love about sales, my career choice is that you can be creative. Like, how do we get a deal done? Nothing's off the table. Let's figure out what you really want. And I'll tell you if we can do it or not. And this is a perfect example of, I think when most people think about real estate, they're like, let me go buy a single family home. It's going to trade at whatever the house next door sold it for. And it's going to rent for what everybody else is renting it for. And really in real estate, you could be as creative as you want. And I'm sure you've seen a ton of that. I want to go now back to like single tenant. So you mentioned a couple of the bigger ones out there, the CVSs, the Walgreens, the Starbucks of the world, the auto manufacturers, all of that, A, did not close during COVID, right? Because they were essential retailers, something that right. is a new term for everybody probably. And two, they uh, Amazon can play in that space, but they're not going to disrupt where you get your medicines and where you get your vaccine shots and where you get your cup of coffee every single day and things like that. So how are you all focused on that space? Like, are there specific big names that you're looking for, specific verticals? What does that look like? We in, in our fund have segmented segmented it by industry. One is auto service. So it's the Jiffy Lube, it's the Firestone. And, you know, for example, I just want to point out because we're talking about, you know, a, a vital thing in uh, triple net leases, single tenant is also tenant credit. Um, so you can get either a Jiffy Lube franchise and a lot of those guys have like hundreds of stores and, you know, some of them are private equity companies. But if you get, you know, the corporate Jiffy Lube, that is Shell Oil Company on the lease. And Shell Oil Company is one of the largest, you know, companies in the world. So I would almost rather have Shell or Exxon on my lease than the U.S. government. You know, just they're distributed, they're, you know, less risk and all the rest of that. Uh, so auto service, um, drug stores, dollar stores, Medtail, which is medical retail. And under medical retail, uh, we also include veterinary because uh, for example, a great tenant that we really love is um, Banfield Pet Hospitals. And there's a few other chains they own, but it's owned by the Mars Corporation. So Mars not only makes Purina Pet Chow, but they also do M&Ms and everything else. And that's a billion dollars in sales corporation. So I don't mind having them as a tenant either. Uh, and the, you know, they're gonna be around. And then we're also doing mobile telephone places because you get AT&T or Verizon. 
on the uh, lease and they're always in really good locations. And there's uh, one or two that I'm missing, uh, but those, oh, grocery stores, th those are kind of the people. We don't do fast food, but another uh, really good, you know, and it's just a super huge, you could decide, you know, just to even go in a segment of fast foods. It's like, do I want to specialize in chicken? Do I want to specialize in, in hamburgers? Uh, the, the best thing to do, though, is to know a little bit about what the business is and how they make their money. So if you are going to invest in uh, something retail or some, or even if you're going to invest in a single tenant triple net industrial property, which I am by no means an expert in, but you should know what business that tenant is in and what the prospects of that tenant staying in there for the next 15 years is and, and all the rest of it. So uh, with corporate real estate, you need to know a, a slight amount of, you know, what's going on with the underlying business. And uh, it, uh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Matt. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, first of all, Shell owns Jiffy Lube? Yes. I had no idea. That, that's, yeah. that's interesting. There's only the illusion of choice out there. Really, there's big conglomerates <laughs> that own everything. Um, but I, I think what you're saying is super interesting because um, many people think that you can't get your oil changed anywhere but an oil change place. Maybe in the future, maybe in 20 years, when we're all driving Teslas and don't need our oil change, that will be different. But for the next 20 years, that's not different. You can't today get a vet to come to your hospital and treat rascal the, the dog. Maybe you can in certain locations, but there's cost prohibitive and things like that. That's not really going away. So the basis of your fund is really these essential retail locations that they may or may not be disruptive, but they're not like the little mom and pop shops that are selling suckers and candies and things like that, that you can get online. Is that, is that a good way to kind of think exactly. about it? When we started looking at this back in 2017, we saw, you know, earlier on, it's like, and we were early adopters, you know, on the internet. And so it's like, I'm buying, and I started buying stuff from Amazon probably in like 1999 or 2000. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, well, this is kind of stupid because I'm actually undercutting my business, but you know, <laughs> it was convenient and they, they ironed out the stuff, but we really started taking a hard look at it. It's like, what can be Amazon to weigh? What can be put online? And, you know, it, even in the early, uh, like 1999, 2000s, there was a real huge blow up. It was pets.com and, mm -hmm. you know, it was an online pet store. And so they didn't make it. And there were some other uh, online grocery places that didn't make it. But the next iterations are, you know, you know, catching up. I don't know if groceries are ever going to go fully online because just a lot of people like to get them. But what I do see is you're going to have and what most retail is now going to is buy online, pick up at store, uh, buy online for delivery or, you know, buy at the store. And they've also done extensive studies. And if a retailer opens a store or a uh, service provider opens a store in a particular market, their online stuff goes up too, because yep. people actually see that. And that's what we really like about single tenant triple net leases, because those buildings are right next to really busy streets. And they're just like a giant billboard reminding people, you know, you might not need to go to get a cup of coffee every day, but it's like, oh, I need to meet Matt for coffee. So it's like, hey, let's go to, you know, the Starbucks or the, the Caribou coffee or, um, you know, uh, whatever type of coffee and let's meet over there. Cause I, I, I remember that in my head. 
Yep. Yep. So, all right. That's the real estate portion of the Liberty real estate fund, right? Is single tenant, meaning Dollar General, Starbucks, CVS, Walgreens is a simple way to think about it. Triple net, which means Michael is only in charge of collecting rent from them. They pay for the maintenance, the insurance, the taxes and things like that. Where does blockchain fit in all this? So I want to start us off with what blockchain is, because most people, when they think blockchain, they think Ethereum, they think Dogecoin, they think Bitcoin, they think things like that. But blockchain is the underlying technology behind that. So let's let's start with what blockchain is. And then I want to talk a little bit about how is a token different than a cryptocurrency? Sure. So I have always hung around a lot of... Um, liberty-minded people uh, and, you know, more in the line of Misean economics and, you know, free market economics. And so with hanging out with those people, they kept talking about cryptocurrency and, you know, and the Fed and things like that. And while I wasn't, you know, completely in the pool at the time, I was listening to them. And, you know, right around the time that the cryptocurrency market tanked in 2017, I kept saying, well, there's nothing behind these projects. They're like, uh, you know, they've raised a billion dollars and they just seem like giant scams. And one of them is, you know, I, I, you know, would say, don't ever put your money near Dogecoin or Shibu or anything named after a dog, because it is just basically a dog. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's, there's no utility value behind it. And so, but what I didn't understand is that um, these some of these blockchains are basically communications networks. And so it's the rails of the financial system. And most of the major banks, most of, uh, you know, and you're going to also see like the, the Fed is even talking about putting, you know, dollars into a, a digital dollar. It's, it's going to happen. And the great thing about blockchain is blockchain can do those transactions, uh, but it's a distributed network. It's not like a central point, as you were talking about, central point of failure. Visa right now can process way more transactions. Uh, The New York Stock Exchange can right now process way more transactions, but that is a single point of failure. As you saw with Hurricane Sandy hitting what's called DTCC, which is where the, the stocks trade on the stock markets, but they actually don't get traded you know, up to three to seven days because they have to move those around. And that's digital trust you know, corporation moving them around in the background. Well, when Hurricane Sandy hit, their whole facilities were flooded. So the stock market just ground to a halt. Um, with a distributed ledger blockchain, not only is it distributed throughout the world, but it's also a permanent, we'll, we'll see if it's permanent, but as of right now, it's a permanent record. You know, once the block is laid down in the chain, it's in the ledger and you can't go back and change the ledger. So it really brings up not only distributedness, but also transparency. And then um, there's some, what I like to, you know, define, you know, there's in the cryptocurrency world, there's coins like Bitcoin, uh, Litecoin and, um, you know, Monero and, uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash. And those are uh, either currencies or stores of value. And I look at, you know, Bitcoin more as like digital gold. It's a store of value. Then there's other projects that are different from those, like Ethereum. Our personal blockchain of choice is Algorand. Um, and there's other, you know, blockchains out there. But they're more along the lines of 
not only software projects, but also networks. So they're similar to like an AT&T or Verizon that transactions, they actually can transfer value. So they're communications networks set up for transferring value. And then there's other cryptocurrencies that are just projects that ride on top of those base layer, for example, Ethereum or Algorand or Tezos or any one of those other base layer projects. There's things that ride up on top of it, like, you know, Uniswap, which is an exchange and, you know, and also uh, what we're going to get into is security tokens. So security tokens are riding on those uh, networks. So if you and I wanted to trade, I own, you know, $100,000 worth of Liberty token and I wanted to trade and you said, I'll I'll buy 20,000 of it. The trade would actually go through and be recorded in the blockchain of you know what what we've issued on. I heard you actually talk about this on a on a show while doing some research that essentially the stock market is a blockchain today. IBM sells shares and uh, the bank sells shares to you, and there's an intermediary that's capturing that leisure. So once the bank sells you the shares, for instance, they're going back and recording. Michael Flight now owns IBM shares, which they're giving that information back to IBM. So IBM knows who's their shareholder. So there already is a ledger form of this. What blockchain really is doing is one, digitizing all that instead of putting it on paper record, and then two, broadcasting that to the world so everybody can see it that's on the ledger, who did what and where, when, how, and things like that. If you think about like the old school way, you write a piece of paper and it's kind of like, well, where did that piece of paper go? No one knows. Blockchain broadcasts that out into the world. You mentioned that there's Ethereum, and then what was the other one that you all are on? Algorand? Algorand. Yeah, what, what's the difference? Why did you choose Algorand versus Ethereum? Because I hear a lot of people go with Ethereum, but I have no idea the difference the, there. Ethereum was the original um, uh, blockchain that did smart contracts. So Ethereum uh, does what's called a, a thing. With, so you and I could actually do a residential lease you know, as a smart contract and put it onto Ethereum. And the rent would be paid through if I paid you in US Dcoin, uh, I could pay you directly and it go directly into your wallet. And as long as I performed and paid you rent every month through that smart contract, it would be fine. If I didn't pay you the rent the one month, the smart contract would say, hey, um, you know, he didn't pay. And then, you know, other measures would be taken. It's the same thing with, you know, the fund. We're going to be distributing the uh, proceeds of the fund and distributing monthly uh, income of the fund, and it's all distributed through the smart contract. So you can either get it directly deposited into your bank account, or you could take it as Ethereum or USD. So I'm get, kind of sidetracked there, but so Ethereum is something that you can actually build on. And but the problem with Ethereum is Ethereum is insanely slow and is not scaling to do transactions fast enough. And then the other problem is, is that there's this technical thing that in order to do transaction, you pay transaction fees, which are called gas fees. And so on Ethereum, when we were looking at uh, adding all of our investors to the ledger, it would have been you know, close to $600,000 to just add the investors to the ledger because we would have had to pay all these gas fees. And then 
we would have to pay gas fees or our investors would have to like have their return eaten up in gas fees every time we paid out every month. So we, you know, said we, we need to find another solution. And so working with our securitization platform, Securitize, they have a relationship with a number of different blockchains. And we talked about it and we found that Algorand, uh, we believe is the best chain for financial transactions. Uh, the really cool thing about Algorand, it was founded by a guy uh, that back in the 1980s figured out zero knowledge crypto cryptography. And so he's an MIT scientist. He's like well-versed. He was part of the basics that were needed in order to create even Bitcoin. So, but he looked at, you know, the Bitcoin network, he looked at the Ethereum network and he said, this can't scale. And it can't scale because it can't do transactions fast enough. Uh, it can't do enough transactions per second. And then the other thing important on a blockchain is block finality. So it's not only creating the block, but it has to have an, another few blocks uh, after that to say that this block is definitely the correct block. Uh, and all the information and everything, you know, that was, you know, all the data that's in that block is the, you know, is correct. And so that's a, a you know important thing. It's like the closing of a trade, gotcha. you know. So when, when you're buying a uh, house, you know we have a contract, and you know we. But until we actually sit down at the title company and sign all those papers, and it closes and it transfers, that's you know basically what block finality is. Gotcha. So you have these single tenant net leases, triple net lease properties, and then you have the blockchain technology that's running underneath it. And then I am an investor and I'm buying a security token that's written on the blockchain. Is that essentially where we're at right now? Am I, am I understanding all that correctly? That's correct. You're um, basically investing in a 506C uh, syndication. So everything up to the security token is exactly the same as anybody investing in a multifamily property in any type of real estate syndication. The next level is the fact that you get a security token issued to you, and that security token is not only your share, but it's also tradable after one year. So our 506C offering is for accredited investors only, but after one year, that security token can be traded to accredited or non-accredited investors. Um, and so I always give the example, my father invested in a hotel deal, I think in 1984, 1985, unfortunately died in, in 1986. And so my mother was stuck with this syndicated hotel deal that never made any money. And finally they went into bankruptcy and it went into foreclosure last year, but she couldn't get out of it, you know, for close to, you know, almost 40 years. Uh, and that's what could happen, you know, with a syndication. Hopefully, every syndication, every investor goes into makes money and they get out when they need to. But with security tokens, it gives the investor flexibility uh, that they don't necessarily have to stay in the deal. And you can trade them on an exchange. You can trade them through a broker dealer. And there's these other things which Securitize has and there's other uh, things out there like Oasis Pro Markets, but they're called ATSs, which are investor matching systems. So you can actually just list your shares 
on their investor matching system and through their network, uh, people say, oh yeah, I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like buy those shares from them. Can, can you sell fractional shares of a token too? Um, we have an issue. It, it, so yeah, it, again, it's a 506C offering. It's, so the difference between cryptocurrency and a security token is a security token complies with all the securities laws. So we have to comply with the US securities laws. And if we sell these into, or you know, we offer these to investors, in Europe, we have to comply with, you know, European securities laws, which which we do. Uh, but it's it all has to be legal and it has to be, you know, tax code compliant. So with ours, um, since we're only allowed two thousand investors, we can only allow the tokens to be fractionalized a certain percent. There's other offerings out there, uh, especially with security tokens that are a stock offering. Um, in, you know, certain businesses that those can be fractionalized, you know, down to, you know, eighths and, and all the rest of it. And the digital nature of it allows it to. So, but our minimum investment is 50,000 and we made the individual tokens $10,000 a piece. So uh, I always like to use the example, if uh, you, Matt, bought $100,000 worth of them, and you decided to, you and your wife were going to keep, you know, 40,000 of them. And then you wanted to do some estate planning and split the rest between your kids. Uh, you could do that. Or, you know, let's say uh, you wanted to just, you, you like the investment, but you needed, you know, like to free up some cash. So you said, I'm going to take, you know, two of the tokens, list them on the exchange, because I really found this great deal that I want to invest in, you know, over in Nashville or something. That, that's, I think, the beauty of all this, right, is so for those of our listeners that haven't invested in syndication before, syndications are great because they help you scale and help you diversify your real estate holdings and allow you to do bigger things with groups and partners. The downside of them is they aren't liquid. Within, I mean, some of them are three, seven, five, three, five, and seven years. So you're going to be holding on to that thing for three, five, seven years if everything goes good right? What Michael is saying is that, hey, you could invest in this and after a year, you could turn around and sell it to your neighbor for maybe an increased price, or you could split up the tokens and still have some of your investment in this form of real estate and take some of the earnings and go to Vegas and put it all on red and press your buck there. But this gives you a lot of liquidity and it's regulated which I think actually is a key. There's no doubt in my mind that we're marching down this path towards a digitized token cryptocurrency world. What that looks like, I have no idea. Does block, Does Bitcoin win? Does Dogecoin win? Does anything else win? I can't tell you that, but it, we are marching down this path. So I think the step to get us there is to regulate it. And you, you're right there. You are a regulated coin or a token that is based off of real estate, a hard asset. So if anybody wants to say, well, how do I know that token has value? Here's all of our leases for all of these properties that are paying, uh, backing this coin. Is that, I don't know, is that a good summary of- No, that, that is a perfect summary. We are going to be doing regularly, quarterly net asset value. So you're gonna see what the net asset value of all the properties and the funds are. You're going to be receiving monthly cash flow. And the other thing that's really cool, it's it's not there yet, but we have an agreement with you know a company called BlockFi. And BlockFi, 
not only does um, higher interest, you'll get higher yield interest rates than a bank. But the other thing is we're working with them as soon as they're comfortable with our net asset value on our fund, that somebody might be able to go and put their tokens up. So again, let's use a $100,000 example because I don't do math well. Um, they could put their tokens up. And if BlockFi says we'll loan up to 50% on that, they might not even have to sell their tokens. They yeah. could just borrow against their tokens, which is almost impossible to do today if you're in a private real estate syndication. Yep. Yeah, BlockFi is actually doing some really interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to go on a tangent here and just say that what interests me about NFTs right now more than anything is that Uber found unused space in a car and found a way to monetize it. How much stuff is out there that we could go collateralize and monetize today that we don't have a chance to to get access to it because there's no technical way to do it? And I think blockchain NFTs, they, they get us towards that path. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not smart enough to say I know what that looks like. But I think it is interesting to say, hey, could I loan out against this asset, this baseball card, this painting and things like that? Yeah, I, I'm not giving investment advice here, but I think what you guys are, you guys are onto something very interesting here and I'm super excited to see where it lands. I, I want to switch. And I just want to follow up on your NFT thing because there's guys out there that we have talked to and we have had on you know, our Chicago Blockchain Real Estate Collective meetup that are tokenizing the equity in houses. So they're basically saying that every house can be an NFT. And so instead of going to a bank and, you know, borrowing against it, there's people that are doing, you know, you can tokenize the equity and you can sell portions of your equity, or you can tokenize the equity in your house and uh, investors come, can come in and invest in, in your house. And then you don't have to go to a bank and borrow against it. Yep. So that's, that's it right there. Really cool stuff. I mean, it's just, once you go down this rabbit hole, there are just so many different projects out there. A lot of the projects I get a little bit concerned about because they're from tech guys and are not necessarily real estate guys. So if you are looking into any project, make sure that they have at least somebody, you know, on their team that knows a little bit about real estate. Yep. Yep. Well, this is phenomenal. Um, my, my, I've got so many questions right now because I am blockchain illiterate and cryptocurrency and security token illiterate. So I, I want to bring you back on at some point to, to get an update from you and see how the space evolves. But I want to switch us now to the five toppings part of the show. Our first question is, what is your favorite book or what have you read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Um, my favorite book, and I've, I've, I go back to it, um, uh, one of my mentors gave me, Bob Buford, uh, Halftime. It's uh, making your uh, life go from success to significance. And it really, in my you know, 40s, changed my, because it's like, yeah, I, I'm you know, working, I've got these companies, I've got all this stuff going, but it's like, what am I doing to, number one, improve the world? Number, number two, what am I doing to improve my community? And number three, what am I doing to create human flourishing? So, and that's probably, I wouldn't be even doing the blockchain stuff today because I'd be very happy, you know, doing the real estate. But I keep thinking, it's like, how could we improve, number one, investor experience? Um, and I truly believe that blockchain is going to free up not only $280 trillion of assets in the world, but it's also going to expose people that can't get into this right now. They'll be able to invest on their cell phone, no matter where they are in the world. And so it's going to create stability, income, and assets for people. And so I truly believe that this is a technology that's going to create human flourishing. 
hundred percent. And what was the book called? Halftime? Halftime by Bob Buford. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I don't think I've heard of that one yet. It's um, an old one. So <laughs> our, our next one is, I think the person that you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things that you do every single day. What's something that you do every day? Um, well, I'm going to do the easy one, get up and, and go to work, but uh, I yeah. get up early and um, I uh, like to start my day with, with a Bible study and uh, meditation and, um, you know, really just dedicate and, and be thankful for everything that I've been given by God. And that really, you know, starts my day off well. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that's really, um, you know, I, I would say the, the single, you know, biggest thing that I do every day. I love it. I listened to a podcast over the weekend that this guy was saying, if you spent 20 minutes by yourself with uh, just in pure silence or pure thought or whatever, or uh, with no dings, no sounds, no buzzes for seven days, 140 minutes, you would change your life. And I, I think he's absolutely right. So the, our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? <laughs> that is a tough one. I, I really, um, I, I, <laughs> I've, I've received so much good advice and, you know, nothing is jumping out right now. So I, I guess one of the, the best pieces of advice is your, when I was starting my company, we, we uh, our partners were starting the company back in 1990, you know, this, the same mentor, Steve Zoller, that, you know, gave me the book Halftime uh, also said that uh, you are going to go through trials and tribulations and ups and downs and, you know, if you just number one are uh, doing it correctly and doing it ethically and um, doing it honestly, um, you know, no matter what happens, uh, you know, that that's just the way to, to do it. So um, and I think uh, it, what was his exact phrase was beyond reproach. So as long as you're beyond reproach, um, you know, everything, no matter what happens in your venture, it's, it's going to be all fine. Yep. Do the right things for long enough and you will succeed. I just can't tell you how long you have to do them. <laughs> uh, um, our fourth one is what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? I am most proud of my uh, children. Yeah. So I really, I actually didn't, you know, we were going to the hospital with my first son and I wasn't even sure if I really wanted kids, you know, and I'm, I'm driving my wife to the hospital because I'm like, I'm not ready for this. I'm like, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for college? And, mm -hmm. you know, that that's, and, and uh, number one, uh, it's, uh, I always go with the uh, Rolling Stones song. You can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And so life has worked out perfectly. Um, my two sons are just, you know, wonderful young men now. And uh, the oldest son is 24 and, you know, he's fully emancipated because he's even off my uh, cell phone bill. So, <laughs> so you just got a raise. <laughs> um, our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, I would, uh, love to just do it with my wife. We, we just get along and we, we have a lot in common, you know, cause we share two sons together. So, uh, that's probably the, the first pick, um, and, you know, would be just, a you know, have, uh, you know, have some gelato where she's from in Italy and, you know, right outside of Naples. I was going to say, since, since she's Italian, she'll probably take the gelato. Yeah. 
Perfect. Well, we started with pizza and gelato and we'll end it there with gelato. Michael, this is super interesting. I've got, you've got me thinking about so many different things right now. If you can hear how excited I am, if our listeners wanted to find out more about what you're doing or, or ask more questions, where could we point them to? They could go to our website, which is libertyfund.io. That's libertyfund.io. And if they're interested, we have a special blockchain report. So just look for the special report, click the button, and um, you can get our special real estate on the blockchain report, which tells a little bit more about what we're doing. And then the other thing is, is that we want to foster more education, more knowledge, and get more real estate investors interested in uh, what the blockchain is going to do for real estate. So we are having the uh, Blockchain Real Estate Summit in Austin, Texas, September 9th and 10th. And that's uh, blockchainrealestatesummit.com. So anybody that's interested in going, learning, we're going to have some of the top people there right now, top people in the world that are not only doing tokenization platforms, uh, we're going to have, uh, you know, Algorand blockchain there and a number of other, you know, uh, people that you're going to see how the liquidity happens with broker dealers. And you're also going to have big time uh, real estate investors. And one of the you know gentlemen that's doing a presentation, who's a friend of mine, uh, Bob Helms from the real estate guys. Yeah. I'm assuming there's a lot of people listening to this show from Austin, Texas. So it should be a pretty easy trip to you. And uh, I'm going to have to figure out a way to work that into my schedule because I want to learn more about blockchain around people that I know, which is real estate people. So thanks again, Michael, and look forward to having you back. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.